Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Praise God. Thank you for our young people. Amen. Praise God. Well, it's good to be in God's house. I can say that. Amen. Anybody else happy you're here tonight? Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll, we're going to go to a few places tonight and, uh, in the Scripture and the Bible, so hopefully you have your Bible with you, and whether you have it on your phone or, or whether you have... I love hearing the rustling of pages, and uh, I don't know if I'll ever get to the place where I'll get used to um, doing it on my iPad, or, or I just love... There's something about holding that Bible in your hand and having them rustling pages. There's just something about that. Maybe that's just the old school in me, and, uh, but I do love it. If you'll go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to go to a couple places uh, in the beginning here tonight, but I want to talk a little bit tonight about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and, um, and, and talk a little bit about, um, Billy Graham said this, he said, my greatest fear is that God would remove his hand from my life and from his church. And that should be one of our greatest fears. We don't ever want the Lord to remove His hand from our lives or the fear of Him removing His hand from His church. And so, but I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture to you tonight. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and beginning in verse 30. And the Bible tells us this. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Turn with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to begin reading in verse 16 and read through uh, verse 22. And the Bible tells us in verse 16 of 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Verse 19, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. How many know that's a lot said in just a couple of verses there? Praise God. Now if you would turn with me over to the book of of John chapter 1. The book of John chapter 1. The book of John chapter 1, and let's read beginning. We'll begin reading in verse 32. And the Bible says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he he remained on him. Now this is John baptizing Jesus, and he said that he bore witness. He said, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending 
and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Praise God. Well, we read some very powerful passages of Scripture there. And I want to talk a little bit tonight, uh, just a few minutes, on the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and recognizing God's presence. How are we to respond to the presence of God? Uh, What does the Bible tell us? How are we to recognize His presence? And how are we to respond to His presence? I think if there's anything that needs to be learned by the body of Christ is that one thing is that we don't grieve the Holy Spirit when He's working and that we don't quench the Holy Spirit when He's working. And we're going to talk about that tonight a little bit. I want to read this story to you. A British couple were sent from their, by their denomination to be missionaries in Israel. They were given a home in which to live that was near Jerusalem. A few weeks after they moved into their home, they noticed that a dove had come to live in the eave of the roof of their home. They were thrilled, choosing to believe it was a seal of God's approval of their being in Israel. But they noticed that every time they slammed the door, the dove would fly away. Every time they would get into uh, an argument, or they would talk loud, or they would shout, the dove would fly away. One day, Sandy, the husband, said to Bernice, How do you feel about that dove? It's like a seal of God on our being here, she said. Have you noticed that every time we slam a door, the dove flies away? Every time we get into an argument with each other and start shouting, the dove flies away? Yes, she replied. And she said, and I am so afraid that the dove will fly off and never return. Sandy responded by saying, either that dove needs to adjust to us or we need to adjust to the dove. Their efforts to keep the dove in the eave of the roof of their home literally changed their lives. You know, that's an interesting story. Because here is this couple that recognized this dove had come to live in the eave of their home. And they saw it as a sign of God's approval or presence of them being where they were. But they noticed that uh, there were certain things that would Cause the dove to fly away. And the husband's quote, either the dove adjusts to us or we adjust to the dove. And, that's, and that's, a, that's a question that we can ask ourselves as the body of Christ. When the presence of God comes to be among us, we have the choice either to uh, foster an atmosphere that allows that dove to remain Or do we do things that cause that dove to fly away? And so we must understand that either the thing is we don't, the dove doesn't need, the presence of God doesn't need to adjust to us. We need to adjust to the presence of God. And so here we have this dove, but it's interesting because there is, one bird that a dove is like. Matter of fact, a dove has the same makeup as another bird. Do you know what other bird that dove has a makeup of? 
No, he has the makeup of a pigeon. Matter of fact, a dove and a pigeon are anatomically the same. They're absolutely the same. They come from the same bird family and come from the, the, the same family. But the difference is there's great differences between doves and pigeons. And uh, I remember a couple of years ago, a few years ago, when we was in Great Britain, uh, one of my favorite places to go is Trafalgar Square there in Great Britain. There's a huge art museum there. There's a lot of monuments that are there. But pigeons are everywhere in Tavalga Square. Matter of fact, pigeons will, they will literally come up and land on you without you even wanting them to land on you. I don't know about you, but I don't want no pigeons landing on me. And those pigeons will come. If you hold their ar- your arm out, those pigeons will rest on your arm. I saw many folks uh, having pigeons on their arm. And so pigeons, pigeons and doves are a lot alike. Uh, they're, they're anatomically the same, but their dispositions are different. They're not the same. And uh, matter of fact, pigeons, uh, they carry diseases, some of them. Uh, their droppings uh, uh, carry a fungi. Um, they, uh, uh, they, they really are uh, very unlikable birds. They're dirty birds. And but what's interesting in England, if you go down into, um, if you go down to London, down into the underground or down into the uh, the tube or the tunnels there, you'll see signs that say "Do not feed the pigeons; they are a nuisance." And so, even though doves and pigeons are the same, anatomically their personalities are different, and sometimes. We, we, we sometimes get to the place where we have to understand that, that, you know, we have to fortify an atmosphere that's going to allow the dove to want to rest upon this place. You know, uh, uh, John said, I saw the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. But he says two words in that, in that scripture I read you that caught my eye. It's the word remain. The dove didn't only descend, but he remained. He didn't go anywhere. He remained on Jesus. He stayed on Jesus. And later in the verse there, it says that he saw him remaining upon him. And so we want the Holy Spirit to come. We want him to remain in our presence. We don't want to do anything that allows him to fly away or to, or to, we don't want to act like a pigeon. Pigeons will drive doves away. And it's interesting. I remember about a year ago uh, on a Sunday morning, I'd preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I had some family here. And after service, we ate at our home. And while we were there sitting, two doves came and sat on the, on the, uh, on the railing outside our house on our deck and two doves sat there, and they remained there for, for a couple of hours. They flew a little bit, but two doves came and sat on the outside of our, of our house. They were beautiful. They, they were beautiful. They weren't nuisance, but there was just this presence about them. And so here, the thing is, if there's one truth that should alarm us as believers in this hour when we think about it, it's... We, we, when we think about uh, 
things in our lives and we think about one thing we concerned about when we die, we all think about standing before God, right? And giving an account of our lives. And so one truth, I mean, that should alarm some believers. The fact that we have to stand before God uh, in a final judgment. But surprisingly, the other truth that should alarm us uh, is the possibility of grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit without knowing it. Grieving the Holy Spirit without knowing it. And the thing is, the painless way in which the anointing can be lifted from us, when this occurs, sometimes we know nothing of it at first. Sometimes we just carry on as though nothing's happened. We don't even recognize that it has left us. When you look in the Old Testament, you see this in the life of Samson. It is possible for one who has experienced the precious anointing of the Holy Spirit to, to, to all of a sudden swiftly, painlessly lose that anointing. In other words, you know, to lose that anointing. We can displease the Lord and not feel anything. Y'all know that? We can displease God and not even feel that we've displeased him without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But it is possible that I could spend years of doing what I presume the will of God. You could preach and teach. You can witness uh, and being involved in church and the church work. And when God has hardly, uh, when God was hardly present in our efforts at all. In other words, we could even have the applause of people and we can do the work of ministry in itself. And, and, and even in the midst of all of those efforts um, and have not a clue that the fact that we have moved ahead of the Holy Spirit or we've not yielded to the Holy Spirit or we've not been sensitive to the Holy Spirit that is in our lives... And, and the truth is this, is that the mystery of the anointing of God, um, it is a mystery in the anointing of which, you know, one, we may not even be aware of how the anointing works in our lives. Uh, I mean, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, he was not aware that his face was radiant in the book of Exodus chapter 34. Yet Samson could tear a lion apart with his bare hands and was weak as a kitten when the anointing left him. And, when, and, and he was unconscious of this until he tried to do what, he had, had, what had seemed to be so natural at one time. Turn with me to the book of Judges, chapter 14. In Judges chapter 14, in verse 6, the Bible tells us this, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would, would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hands, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. So here we see this Spirit of God falling upon Samson and him do these great works when the Spirit of God came upon him. But when we look just two chapters over in chapter 16 and verses 20 through 22, it says this, and, and here we have Delilah who's trying to find the secret 
of Samson's strength to set him up for the Philistines. And verse 20, she's, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. She had told them of the secret he had revealed to them. Samson, so he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before, as other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put his eyes and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. And they bound him with bronze feathers and, and he became a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow back again after it had been shaven. Here is a man that the Spirit of God came upon him and he did great feats under the anointing of God. But yet, when the anointing lifted up off of him, he did not even recognize that the anointing had left him. And so, this is kind of like in our Christian life. When we, when we look, uh, you know, the same specific application of the anointing even in our life. John uses the word uh, anointing to illustrate this um, when he first states in 1 John chapter 2. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. In other words, all of us have a specific anointing that is on us. 1 John 2.20 Then John expands this teaching by continuing... He said this, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you or abides in you or abodes in you and, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and as that anointing is revealed, uh, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you to remain in him. That is an interesting word, this word remain. It means to keep continually, never to let lift, um, at, at one with. And so this word remaineth is an interesting word because it says that we are to allow, to do whatever it takes to allow the anointing that God has put in our life to remain, that we always be conscious of the Spirit of God in our lives. That the Spirit of God, that the anointing that He gives us, that is to remain in us, to live a state of condition, remain in Him, it says in verse 27, that we're not only to be aware of the fact that of the anointing that's on our life, to never to keep and be continually, never allowing it to lift, uh, it means to last or to endure as one with, to become one with the anointing or the spirit of God and to always remain, live or remain in a state of condition. In other words, the verse refers to the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which presents what is present in every believer. It is uniquely applied by God's Holy Spirit. Samson's anointing manifested itself in unusual physical strength. One time this anointing was manifested when the Philistines bound Samson with two uh, new ropes. And we read that in Samson's response, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he broke out of those ropes and those bonds. And, and all of a sudden, he eventually, when his head was shaved, he became, he became bound 
and he became weak as any other man, as Judges 16, as I just read you. His strength left him with no warning of any kind. His anointing, and, and with it, his great physical strength was gone also. And so when he tried to defend himself, he did not know. And the scripture tells us in verse 20 of Judges 16, it says, but he did not know the Lord had left him. He did not know the Lord had left him. And so we see that he was unaware that the Spirit of God had lifted off of him. And the reason was is because in Samson's life, there was this constant battle with compromise in his life. That there were times that he remained faithful to God, and when he was faithful to God, God's anointing would come on him to serve him. But when he began to compromise in his life, that anointing would lift off of him. The thing was, he never recognized that the Spirit of God left him. He wasn't even aware that it had left him and that it had gone. That the anointing had left him and had been removed from him. It's an example of, the, it's an Old Testament example of what Paul talks about the grieving of the Spirit in Ephesians 4.30, which we read, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And when the Holy Spirit is grieved, the anointing lifts. And sometimes we usually feel nothing at the time. It isn't until sometime later that we notice that, that, that we have carried out, uh, out, we've carried on out of, he, out of habit and sometimes through the momentum of our gift or through the momentum of just serving, and we've not realized that the presence of God has left. <coughs> but there's a story in the New Testament that I want to call your attention to tonight to help us uh, be a little bit and to talk about being aware of the Holy Spirit and being aware of God's presence if you would, go with me to the book of Luke chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. The book of Luke chapter 2. And this is a very familiar story to you. some of you. You've read this for years. <coughs> and we've heard this preach in various different various ways as we begin to look at this. Luke chapter 2, and let's begin looking at verse 41. Luke 2 and verse 41. And, I'll, and stay with me as we read through this. This is the story of Jesus who was left in Jerusalem after his parents had left. They left him in Jerusalem. Verse 41, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished, finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother did not know that. They did not know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple, 
sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Do you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke unto them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all of these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in the favor of the Lord. Joseph and Mary uh, was, had left Jerusalem and they had left and they had left Jesus behind in Jerusalem. They had gone ahead of him. And they had left Jesus back there. And it's interesting when you think of this story. And we all know that, you know, we should always keep Jesus close to our lives. But this illustration from the life of Jesus illustrates the way in which sometimes the sovereign Holy Spirit may test us. In other words, our sensitivity to him by not moving, by not moving uh, with us when we choose to carry out our own plans. In other words, this is an illustration, is a picture that Joseph and Mary decided to leave without knowing that Jesus was with them. They weren't sensitive to the fact of him being with them. They didn't notice that he was not there. In other words, they were fulfilling what their plans was without recognizing or finding out whether or not he was with them. I find it inter interesting because this is something that I'm sure that they did for years coming up to Jerusalem for the Passover and for the feast. They probably had a routine in doing it and they went about doing what they were doing. And as they were doing what they were doing, they got ready to leave. They just assumed that Jesus was there. They were just observing the feast. But this is interesting. One scholar I was reading after wrote this, and I thought it was interesting, that most scholars believe that this was Jesus' bar mitzvah year. That this is the year that he was bar mitzvah. You know what a bar mitzvah is? It's when a Jewish young man or Jewish boy becomes a man. Now, in America, we say when you're 18, you're legal, right? I mean, we say that. But this, in Jewish young men became men when they were 12 years old. They were bar mitzvah. And, and it is believed that the reason Jesus felt comfortable staying behind was because that in his own eyes, he had become a man now and had been bar mitzvah. And so uh, because of that, Jesus uh, now all of a sudden... He's, he's left behind. They went on with their plans without recognizing that Jesus was not with them. Do you know there are times we can get ahead of God? We can get ahead of God. We can go forth in our own desires, our own plans, not even checking or whether or not to make sure that Jesus is with us, that the Spirit of God is with us or on us or walking with us. In other words, when they found him, you know, this, this may have been one of the, this could be the point where Jesus became conscious of the fact 
that he was the Son of God. We do know that in Matthew 3, 17, at his baptism, that he fully realized these things. But as John Calvin put it, he said Jesus was given a single practice round of what, would have de- he, would, of what he would develop into. He was a 12, here was a 12-year-old Jesus sitting among the rabbinical teachers like one of them, astonishing all who were listening to him. But here's what's interesting. Both Joseph and Mary missed it. The dialogue with Jesus and the teachers in the temple continued for three days, all without the knowledge of Joseph and Mary. And and that'll be something when we all get to heaven that I would like to see. All of this was happening because of the sovereign work of God. Jesus was doing his father's business. In other words, it was a picture of what was to come in Jesus. Jesus said this in John 5, 19, The Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. He also said later in verse 30 of John 5, As He would, as He put it, By Myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And so here we have Joseph and Mary who missed it. See, I think the focus of this entire story here in the book of Luke pivots on the, a couple of phrases that we see. In verse 44, we see this. It says this. It said, but supposing him to have been in their company, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, thinking he was there. They just assumed that Jesus was there. And in verse 43, it said, but they were unaware of it. They were unaware of him being there. They were unaware of whether or not he was with. They presumed he would adjust to their thinking and plans. In other words, they did not see a need of adjusting to Him. And sometimes we're like that when it comes to the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our ministries, in what we do. Sometimes we just go with our plans and do what we want to do, but we never look back and think. And we get halfway into it, and then we begin to question whether or not this thing was God or not. They were unaware of it. They were unaware that he wasn't there. They were unaware that the presence of Jesus was not with them. And so they never thought, they never thought that they needed to seek Jesus and to make sure that he was with them. And sometimes we get the feeling that Jesus is always on board with just whatever we want to do. And the truth is, that's not the case. Sometimes we need to make sure that Jesus is on board with our agenda and what we're doing. I mean, Joseph and Mary went to this feast every year. And they were here every year. They, they probably sang the songs of ascent with the pilgrims as they ascended up the holy hill of Jerusalem. The Psalms from 120 to Psalms 134. They knew the territory. And so we learn here that they just went about their own business and going about their own business. But... As we look at this, I think there's some things that we can, in this event, that is important for us to look at and to see. Number one, 
This shows us how we can run ahead of God as a result of not focusing on His Son and adjusting to the sensitivity of the Spirit. You know, sometimes we got to learn to adjust to the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We have to learn sometimes that we just can't run ahead of God. We've got to be sensitive to what He's speaking to us and where He is and what He's doing at the moment in our lives. Like them, we may think the whole time He is with us when truly He is not. Therefore, we must learn to adjust to Him and not, ex- and not expect Him to adjust to us. Sometimes we have to adjust our faith and adjust what God is doing. We have to adjust to what He says to do. What He is showing us. How He is leading us. Instead of expecting Him to just adjust to us. And so we must learn to adjust to Him and Him not adjust to us. Number two. The immediate presence of Jesus is like the anointing. The immediate and direct witness of the Spirit of God. In other words, this example shows us one of the differences between God's omnipresence and His, what I would call His special presence or His anointing. Theologians often speak of the attributes of God. Three, three of which uh, are what we call the big O's. His his omnipotence. His omnipotence is his all-powerfulness. His omniscience is he knows everything. And his omnipresence, he is everywhere. Listen to what the psalmist says in 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn... If I settle on a far side of the sea, even there your hands will guide me. Your right hand will uphold me. In other words, God is always with us. His omnipresence is always there, but that doesn't mean His anointing is always there. He tells us in Hebrews 13, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. We can never get outside of His omnipresence But we can lose the anointing of God's presence, his anointing on us. It happened to Samson. God did not totally leave Samson, but his anointing lifted off of Samson and he eventually got it back. Number three, we learn from this illustration. If we discover that uh, that we have moved ahead of God, we have and have left him behind, we must go looking for him. When they realized at a day's journey that Jesus was left behind, they had to make the conscious decision of going back and looking for him. And and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. In verse 45, and once we have lost God's anointing, we can only find him by initially returning to the place where we lost him. When his anointing has lifted off of our lives, when his anointing, when we feel that his anointing is not there, we have to go back to the place where we lost it. And by place, I don't necessarily mean a literal, physical place as in a building or a geographical location. I mean recalling 
what it was like when he, when we, when, when he, when we were conscious of his presence, remembering the circumstances that may have been contributed uh, to his staying behind, the reassessing and repenting of self-justified ways that we proceeded without him, thinking he was in our company, only to find, only to find him when we find him by discovering uh, where he is by coming to terms with what he is doing. Joseph and Mary had to go back to Jerusalem where they lost Jesus, and it wasn't until they returned to Jerusalem that they finally found him and saw where he was. And so they had to go back. They had to go back to where they lost him. This account demonstrates that it's easier to lose the anointing than it is also to get it back. Number five. It's a lot easier to lose the anointing on your life than it is to gain it back. Because it says, it says this. It says, Mary and Joseph, after a day's journey, Mary and Joseph realized they had left, they have left Jerusalem without Jesus. But how long did it take them to find him? The Bible says it was three days before they found him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions in verse 46. In other words, it took longer to get the anointing back than it did to lose it. They had to go back and search for it. They had to go back to where they felt they lost it, where it, was, where it had gone, and they had to go back to that place. And sometimes the anointing will lift off of our lives at times, and we've got to go back to that place spiritually where we remember the tangible presence of God being in our lives. And sometimes we have to go back, and sometimes it's a matter of, of repentance. Sometimes it's a matter of just uh, going back to that place and, and, and seeking God and discovering why that anointing lifted off of our life and repent of our, of our, of our uh, getting out ahead of God and saying, God, you know, forgive me for being ahead of you and not knowing where you were, making sure that you were with my plans, on board with my agenda, where I was headed and where I was going. And sometimes that takes longer than the lifting of the anointing itself. Number six, we miss seeing the next sphere of God's activity when we move without him. He carries on without us. But he still continues to work. Jesus said in John 5, 17, he said, My father is always at his work, and I too am working. It's a sober reminder that heaven doesn't shut down merely because we are not directly involved ourselves. Now, I know, I know sometimes we think that God cannot work without us, that he really needs us. I'm here to tell you tonight, God's work will still go on whether or not we're involved or not. God's work will still be done. God will find a way to finish the work that he started. He wants us involved. But if we move ahead out of him and not realizing that we have left his presence and his anointing that's on our life back, he will still work. His, the work of God will not shut down just merely because we're not involved there. Joseph and Mary could not conceive of Jesus doing anything extraordinary without them. <laughs> and Jesus' was response was, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? 
about my father's business. Verse 49. We can learn a lot about God's sovereignty and about human responsibility from this story. Had Jesus not stayed behind, or had Joseph and Mary remained with him, Luke would not have had this story to tell. So I believe the Bible categorically affirms the sovereignty, the sovereign grace of God in salvation. We are chosen apart from works. We are chosen apart from works. We're saved apart from works. Did you know that? That we're not, works don't save us. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen? And, and, and kept apart from works. We are loved with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3 says, There is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And we can do nothing to cause him to love us less. How many are thankful for that? We are secure and kept by the sheer grace of God. The grace of God keeps you and I. But that is not all we need to know when it comes to living the Christian life and pleasing God. God puts on us the honor to guard the, as, as 2 Timothy 1.14 says, turn to 2 Timothy 1.14. Let's read this together. That though we have, do not work for our salvation, our salvation is by grace. 2 Timothy 1.14. But we are to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us. Verse 14. The good thing which was committed to you Keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So what is committed to us? What is this talking about? There is an anointing of the Holy Spirit that has been put on our lives. And we are by the, by the Holy Spirit to guard that that was entrusted to us. Continue by reminding us how do we do it. And if you read further along, it says that we are to guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That deposit is the anointing. It's the special presence of God. And we can lose this anointing. We can lose this anointing without forfeiting our salvation. Our anointing is a trust here that God has given us. And we are to guard it by the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we're to guard it with the Holy Spirit. And to keep guard of it by the Holy Spirit. I read a story this week. I have a couple of favorite theologians that I like to read after. Uh, I love. I like to read after um, um, John Phillips is one. G. Campbell Morgan's one. Uh, more current. I love Francis Schaeffer and things that he has written. But one of my favorite theologians is a man by the name of R. T. Kendall. I don't know if you've ever heard of R. T. Kendall. He's written some great books on the blood. He pastored. Uh, he pastored um, uh, Westminster Chapel in Great Britain for 25 years. He's in his 80s now. He's still alive. But he, tell the, he tells this story. He was talking of the story of when he, was in, um, when he was doing his graduate work. He was uh, on an archaeological research while in seminary. And um, he was doing a paper on the Messianic hope of Israel. And the, his focus was on the temple. And he tells the story that he was in Israel at the Wailing Wall. And uh, 
Um, and it was his first time that he'd ever been to Israel. He was at the Western Wall there, and, uh, uh, which is Israel's most sacred spot. I don't know if you've been to Israel. Uh, if you've been there, I'm sure that it's an amazing thing. And uh, as he's there doing this research, he said his guide was a Jewish man who was, who was, uh, who was, who was there standing with him at, at the Western Wall. And he said something. He said, sometimes when you're at the wall and they are praying, occasionally you will see a dove that'll come out of the crevices of the wall and fly away. He said, uh, the Jews, uh, you know, are enamored by that. But sometimes you'll see doves come and get in those crevices and then of the wailing wall. And there'll be times they will fly away out of the wall. He said the next day that he had gone down to the wailing wall again, and when he did, he saw a dove coming out of the crevices of the western wall. He thought it was so amazing, he took a picture of it. And when he went back to seminary and he turned in his his paper and his work that he was doing, he enlarged the picture, he gave it to his professor, and his professor said, this is great, it's a great work. He said, but I got an issue with your picture. He said, well, what is it? He said, You said this is a dove. He said, yes, it is a dove. He said, this is not a dove. This is a pigeon. This is not a dove. He had taken a picture of a pigeon and could not see the difference between a dove and a pigeon. And so it's easy to mistake a dove. A dove in Scripture represents the Holy Spirit. And and, and because doves and pigeons are alike, you know... um, uh, R.T. Kendall said, that was the first time I learned about pigeon religion. He said, you know, bad religion is pigeon religion. He said, but those who love God follow the Spirit. They follow after the dove. And there's a difference between pigeons and doves, though they come from the same family. And their dispositions are different. Here are some things that are that are, uh, and are different about the disposition and personalities of a pigeon and dove. A pigeon, pigeons fight one another. Doves don't fight. Pigeons are belligerent, but doves are peaceful. Pigeons uh, love it noisy, but doves like it quiet. Pigeons want attention, but the doves don't want attention. Pigeons are greedy. Doves are not greedy. Pigeons are aggressive, but doves are not aggressive. Pigeons depend sometimes on men for food, but doves eat what they find. Pigeons will eat any old junk, but doves will only eat seeds, nuts, and fruits. Pigeons are territorial, but doves are not territorial. You can train a pigeon, but you can't train a dove. Pigeons have multiple mates over the years, but doves only have one mate. And so being able to distinguish between, he says, he says, he said that that what I realize is that sometimes we have to be, to know the Holy Spirit enough in our lives to distinguish between the authenticity of the Holy Spirit and the unauthenticity of the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, there's many things out there that is just pigeon religion. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's just an imitation. A pigeon is an imitated version of a dove. And so we see this word in John 1.32 when Jesus is being baptized to remain. The dove of the Holy Spirit came on Jesus and remained. It didn't leave. See, the Holy Spirit never leaves us, but sometimes we lose a sense of His presence in our life. Sometimes we lose a sense that He is there. And sometimes the Holy Spirit, sometimes we'll be in a service and, and the Holy Spirit comes down and remains on us and we feel Him in our lives. But then a couple hours later, we're like, oh my God, where did that peace go that I felt? Where did that presence go that I felt like was nothing else like it? Where did that sense of, of God was in complete control go? And, and sometimes the Holy Spirit comes, but he doesn't remain because a couple hours later we get out there and somebody, we're driving our car and somebody cuts us off and we shout at them. <laughs> sometimes we point at them or shake our finger at them. And or we get in a line at the grocery store and the person in front of us is taking too long and we're in a hurry and we're like, you know, we get their attention because we breathe hard to let them know that we're irritated with them. <sighs> right? Isn't that what we do? Or we get in a fast food line and it's like you had to get behind the car that had the minivan with 12 kids. <laughs> right? The whole baseball team. You know, you're at Wendy's and they're cooking 25 hamburgers for the van in front of you. And what normally should take two minutes ends up being 10 or 12. And all of a sudden, you're, you're irritated. You get irritated at that. And what has happened? The dove flies away. And so we, 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 we get this place where we allow the Spirit of God to lift off of us. And so the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be crunched. The word grieved in the Greek means to make sad, make sorrowful. It means it comes from the root word of hurt feelings. Isn't it amazing? The Holy Spirit's feelings can be hurt. In other words, he can be offended. The Holy Spirit can be offended. In other words, the person of the Holy Spirit is very sensitive. Doves are sensitive. Pigeons are not sensitive. Doves are sensitive. And so the Holy Spirit is sensitive. And you can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit at times. And, but though we grieve the Holy Spirit, we don't lose our salvation because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit has sealed us with, until the day of redemption. But what happens is the anointing lifts off of us. And so Paul tells us what grieves the Holy Spirit. Well, bitterness grieves the Holy Spirit. Anger grieves the Holy Spirit. Strife grieves the Holy Spirit. Evil speaking grieves the Holy Spirit. It says we are to forgive one another. In other words, to forgive. If we don't forgive, it means the word there in, in Ephesians means to keep judging, to keep holding, to keep under judgment. And so to grieve the Holy Spirit, if there is bitterness, anger, strife, evil speaking not forgiving one another, then that grieves the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit is, is unable to be active. Our temper, we can be flustered, upset, and, and, and we can be anger, and our gossiping can, the dove flies away. So as what we need to understand is we need to find out what grieves the Holy Spirit and not do it, right? So that the Holy Spirit can be present and have a true sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. I love what John Phillips says when he talks about this passage of grieving the Holy Spirit. He said in one of his commentaries, he said this, he said, if Christians can learn how to close the time gap, true spirituality is a believer who learns how to close the, uh, uh, the sin gap. And by that, he means this. By closing the sin gap is the time from the time that we uh, grieve the Holy Spirit, our sin, to the time that we repent. Sometimes it takes people years before they close that gap of sin and repentance. Sometimes for some it's, it's longer than that, it's months. For others it's weeks and days. But he says the way that we learn to honor the Holy Spirit and become spiritually mature is learn how to close the time gap between sin in our life and repentance. When we mess up, how soon can the Holy Spirit speak to us and we make that right? He said people who learn how to close the sin gap or close that gap become more sensitive to the work of the Holy Spirit in their life and the less grieving of this Holy Spirit. To close the gap, to know it's, it's really what the Old Testament says. God said, for it grieved him that Israel did not know his ways. They did not know his ways. And so the spirit can be grieved, but it can also be quenched. The word here means to, it's, it's, it's the same word uh, where grieving means to be initial, is initiated by attitude or internal, where quenching the spirit is the same thing, is the same way, um, but it's external. Grieving the Holy Spirit is grieving the Holy Spirit by what's internal, and, and, and quenching the Holy Spirit is by what we are doing externally. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in our midst, and we don't recognize that he's working. We quench the Holy Spirit by doing that. Not recognizing that the presence of the Holy Spirit is there. We quench it by not recognizing that God is working or that God is doing something. I remember uh, when I first came here and we were over at, still over at Venture Out, uh, doing services at Venture Out. And I remember that on Sundays, uh, I found it interesting that uh, we were be having altar services, but while we were in the midst, still working at the altar, uh, people we had to we had to tear the room down and set the room up uh, for service. And people were tearing the room down while people were still at the altar or still being ministered to. And the noise of all that was going on and the clamoring that was going on, it was kind of it, it was almost a quenching of what the Spirit of God was doing in some people's hearts. 
And so we had to, you know, I got Ron and some of the guys and said, hey, guys, you know, we got to wait till at least, you know, let's wait until folks have been ministered to before we do this. And so we have to learn how not to quench the spirit by, by our actions sometimes outwardly and our attitudes outwardly, we can quench what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so we have to be aware that we have to be aware not to grieve the Holy Spirit and not to quench what the Holy Spirit is doing. Not recognizing when He is moving in our midst. And the greatest thing we can learn is how to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of pigeon religion going on out there. There's a lot of pigeon religion that's happening. And and what looks like maybe God really may just be pigeon and not the dove. But I don't know about you, but I want the dove to fall on my life. I want the dove to fall on us. Pastor Adam, if you'll come. Stand with me tonight, if you would. And as we close. Those missionaries that were in Israel, all their lives were changed by the fact that a dove came to live in the eve of their home. It changed their life. It changed the way that they approached things. And you know, the fact that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in, the, in our midst should change the way that we, that we live, how we conduct our lives, that we too should desire that the dove remain and not scare the dove away by our actions. As we close tonight, let us leave praying of a recognition that God will allow us to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter 2, it tells us that there is an anointing on each of us. All of us have been given an anointing on our lives. We should all desire that God uses that anointing in us, that we not grieve the Holy Spirit's work in our life nor should we quench it. Father, we come to you tonight because, God, we desire to see you move in our midst and our hearts. And, God, we all at times have moved ahead of God. Like Mary and Joseph, we have gone and not realized that Jesus was not with us. We had left him behind. We weren't sensitive to what he was doing. And we had got caught up in our own lives and world that we failed to seek Him. And so, Father, help us tonight, God, not to get out ahead of God. Not to get out ahead of His Holy Spirit. Not to get out ahead of who He is. We pray tonight, God, that You will teach us not to grieve Your Spirit or to quench what You are doing in our lives. We thank You, God. And just like the missionary lady, may we ever be aware. We pray the dove never flies away. And my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will always be among us. We always make room for Him in our lives.
And we thank you, God, for salvation. We know that's never in question. But Samson, the Spirit of God lifted off him and he never recognized that it wasn't there. He went in his own strength. Never let us be at the mercy of our own strength. For we need you tonight, God. We thank you. Holy Spirit, everyone in this room, I pray there will be a fresh touch of the anointing of God that's on their life. A fresh touch of the Holy Spirit that is in them. Let there be a new anointing, a fresh anointing. Never to be quenched. Never to be grieved. Manifest your presence in all that we do. And we thank you, God. Give us the wisdom to be able to distinguish between a pigeon and a dove. And may the Spirit of God remain upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.